Low Profile with Mark Lee Morrison, the podcast that brings you the best and brightest music underdogs you never knew you needed in your life. Today's episode finds Mark Lee in Claremont, California, where he sat and talked with Henry Barnes of Amps for Christ. Center in Claremont, California. This is Low Profile with Mark Lee, yours truly, and I am joined today by a musician named Henry Barnes of the project Amps for Christ. And uh, I've been listening to Amps for Christ for a little over a couple of decades, I guess, and uh, I'm honored to be in your presence. Henry, welcome, or I guess. Yes. Yeah, well, hi, hello. This is where I work, so I'm welcoming, welcoming you, too. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the Folk Music Center, everybody. Uh, this is, we're in one of the uh, teaching rooms, uh, which we made a couple of little ones in the back. This building was built in the 20s, early 20s. Might have even been like, it was around, I've, I've seen a picture of the bank down the street in 1913. Where this building is, so it's really the old bricks we're talking to here. And uh, uh, I started working here back in 2002, and it's been a really great uh, hate to use the term great run, a ride, but uh, it's been fun, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, in 2004, I was working here and I made a record. I finished a record called The People at Large and I sent it up to Olympia because I'd been going up to Olympia with Man is the Bastard for years. And uh, after Man is the Bastard, I started doing Amps for Christ because I've been writing that on all my amps. You know, in Man is the Bastard, you can see there's pictures of the old days where you can see Amps for Christ on the amps. I'd already started it and I was thinking of a name. At first it was going to be there was a wheat mold uh, in the Midwest, and I was working at the Suncrest Bakery, which I think me and Mark are going to go down and visit in a minute. Sounds fun. Yeah, where Eric Wood worked, and I worked, and a bunch of musicians worked there over the years. Now, Eric Wood is—he was your counterpart in *Man Is the Bastard* and *Bastard Noise*. Yeah, we yeah. started that together. Okay. He was uh, in Pillsbury Hardcore and Neanderthal too, and so he's—he's he's kind of a badass. And uh, he worked, I got him a job. He he worked there after I did, and I trained him. And the day that he was hired, he walked towards the back door. I looked out the window. I saw the new guy, which I had just met. Well, I knew him from like around town. I'd see him at coffee bars and stuff. And he had in his paw test pressings for fighting music. Neanderthal fighting music. He had the test pressings for that in his hand. 
as he walked towards the back door for me to train him to bake all the baked goods. And so that's how we kind of started out. And then, then they were looking for a guitar player and they had two members and just the, him and the drummer, Joel Connell. And uh, I was, he liked noise. Even then I was kind of noisy and he liked it. So I was hired <clears throat> and we were, <clears throat> we were called Charred Remains at first because we hadn't thought of a name. And then it was like, oh, okay. And we would stay up late baking baked goods for the populace of Claremont and thinking of like how man was treating the earth and the environmental issues were really big on my thing back then. I mean, I was like chicken little, you know, the sky is falling. And I was oh, like sure. one of those people. And so that's how man is the bastard came about as man against nature. It was, that's what it means. That's the, the intent of the name was about man versus nature. Anyway, those were the days. And so you branded all your amps, Amps for Christ. Is that like, I'm just picturing that's like your, uh, sort of like a brand name for your equipment that you made? It was, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, and it was just because... I don't like the uh, right-wing Christianity. It's not my book at all. I like the 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 idea of Christ's love over Christ being hateful in any way. Uh huh. And I find the right-wing hateful. Yeah, it's uh... so. That's not my trip at all. But I do respect the name of Christ, and I am a Christian, and that's what it's about. It's not a joke. But I don't want to be. I found the. Most Christ-like people that I met in the hardcore scene were devil worshipers, people who looked black and evil, tattoos everywhere, you know, ripped up skin, mean looking people, and with bloody album covers, etc. Mm -hmm. I found them to be the nicest people I'd ever met. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're not gonna you're not gonna walk around like that and being judgmental of others, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was kind of an eye opener, yeah. Yeah. But uh that's where the name and at the time there was Econo Christ and there was all kinds of references in the hardcore scene to Christ in names. And lots of them were jokes. Sure. And some of them weren't jokes. Yeah, I wasn't like, sure what to think when I first uh discovered your music. The Amps for Christ music, um, having grown up in an evangelical household myself. Wow. Um, you know what I'm talking about then. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But I was just, um, I, I was really intrigued by uh, sort of the variety of uh, just the different sounds you pulled into. Um, the first album I heard was called The Beggar's Garden, and I couldn't identify a lot of the instruments on there, I, and I, you know, reading the liner notes, I guess you built a lot of different, like, oscillators and things like that. One thing, we were listening to uh, some of your records on the way down here uh, to California in the van, and uh, I 
remark to my wife about how you could make any instrument sound like bagpipes. Yeah, well, that goes way back to when I was in high school. I do have a lot of Scottish blood, and I'll never forget out in front of my dad's house on the sidewalk, my old grandpa Barnes, who's very Scotch, as he calls it. Uh, I had sent him some like distorted guitars where I was trying to sound like bagpipes when I was 15. And he said, why do you want to make your guitar sound like bagpipes? And I was like, I didn't know what to tell him, you know. this. And I've never changed. I mean, I'm still into that whole deal. The closest thing I ever got to bagpipes, actual sounding like bagpipes without actually blowing on one, was the Hammond chord organ, S6, from the 50s, tube organ. And then I ran that thing backwards through some oscillators. And I had these backwards paths where it was doing, uh, it's called uh, feedback tone control and feedback dynamics. In other words, what was happening was it was, you know, on a real bagpipe, how the high frequencies get attenuated. So it goes, mm -hmm. the high ones are softer. And I got this preamp to do that perfectly with this old tube organ. And I got him tuned up well enough where it would do it. And it's a monophonic, which means it only plays the highest note you're hitting. And you can hold other notes and let go. And it increases the math of the keyboard because then with one finger you can play two notes on and off. You let go and it's another note. You push down, it's one note. So with each finger you're playing two notes instead of one, like a regular keyboard. So it makes it more like a wind instrument. And man, I got it to sound like bagpipes. I actually fooled people. They thought it was bagpipes, you know. On the beginning of the, uh, uh, it's on the beginning of the uh, Plains of Alluvial cassette that was just a couple of years ago re-released on vinyl by Waterwing Records in Portland. My old friend uh, Alex Usamoth, uh, who did a seven-inch split with Answer Christ back in the day called, uh, and his thing was called Yellow Paws back then with a J. Yeah. And so we did this split back then and we've been friends ever since. Or before that we were friends because he went, when he was a kid he used to watch Man of Sebastian in Orange County. And he was into electronics and I had these preamps and oscillators <laughs> Uh, you know, blasting with hardcore. That was yeah. my thing. I was kind of too lazy to play guitar, so... No, I wasn't too lazy, but I, just, I was into these. I had discovered uh, oscillators just by accident, because I was in this band called The Dull in the 80s. And the Dull, they had this song. Their, their biggest hit was this, on this comp called I Hate the Motorcyclist. The motorcyclists, the grimy and the wows. I hate the motorcyclists. I want to see them around. Yeah, and so I was making preamps back then, and what it was was I was just trying to get the bagpipes. I was overdriving one into another into another. It's like when you put pedals together, and but it was all with tubes, and I was making it for this guy in the dull, and. 
what would happen was that once you got the gain up really high and you were running one 12x7 into another into another, then it would get really too noisy as um, I'm sure most people know it gets really noisy and uncontrollable completely. So any kind of little variation in the power supply or anything like that causes oscillations. And so one night I was in this industrial park with a twin reverb on 10. There was no one around. And I was working on a preamp like that. And I was playing a cassette of the Chieftains actually through this oscillator into a twin reverb on 10. Okay. In this industrial park. And it sounded absolutely amazing. And then it started oscillating and it started to, uh, Patty Maloney's pipes, uh, Julian bagpipes, it started doing these octave div divisions and arpeggios off of the pipes. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I'm going to put a switch on that. You know, so I found out what I did. I put a switch on it. And that's how I discovered, oh, you run the output back into the input electronically. Not like with a mic in front of a speaker, but you do it electronically mm -hmm. in different phasings with different highs and low cuts. And you end up with an oscillator, a synthesizer, because it's synthesizing a sound at that point. And then it go, can go by itself. So it's like, you can make a tone all by itself. And I, that's when I discovered it. It was right before I joined Man's the Bastards, right before I met Wood. This was like weeks before that. And so I was kind of excited about it. Then I get in this band. And then a year into this band, I, I realized I could use this stuff with the guitar. Because then you can trigger it. See, if you get the oscillation going and you hit it with enough gain, then you can make the guitar be the trigger. And then you can get it to oscillate and do things off the, the note you hit. You know, you can hit it with this note. And you pump it through a bunch of gain and it goes into something that's going wing, and then this one that hits it divides it up and then it divides into like several different octaves and or maybe some very odd uh, self-discriminating arpeggios so anyway then you can trigger it with a note you trigger that whole thing with a note and then it, then you can actually play guitar through it or something and then then it becomes another thing on its own and I realized about a year into Man is the Bastard that I could use that with the band. And I was using the oscillators for overdrives anyway, because they can be used just as an overdrive. Sure. If they're not switched to feeding back and stuff. And then it then we had some pretty amazing era, you know, in the like 93, 92, with where I was doing like full oscillations <laughs> with a hardcore with a hardcore prog band, you know, like they were very progressive at that point. The drummer was practicing Tony Williams jazz licks all the time, and it was like we were progressive, hardcore. Yeah. And <clears throat> but I would be running instead of playing guitar. A lot of times I'd be running oscillators, you know, you know, like along with the progressive, like ten-minute song with very syndicated, sy syncopated, slow, written-out, methodical parts. I'd be doing this like improvised thing over the top of all the drums. It wasn't too long after that that everything in my life changed. And I split up with my girlfriend and moved out of the house. I left Man's a Bastard. Everything, you know, it was like one of those flippers, you know, when you flip, everything's... Clean you know, slate. Clean slate. You wake up the next day and you're not in the same situation at all that you were before. <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, there's this wheat mold in the Midwest called Vomit Toxin. 
And we got this letter from our wheat supply company at the bakery, at Suncrest Bakery, where we all worked. And it said, due to the mold, vomitoxin, your price is going to go up like 12 bucks a bag. And I was like, vomitoxin? That's a great name for a band, man. Maybe that's what I'll be. I'll uh -huh. be fine. <laughs> you know, it's so a real go? It's a real thing. I made one cassette. I made a bunch of... But before anything ever actually came out as Vomitoxin, I had I had thought about it more, and I'd looked at all my amps and seen the amps for Christ written on there. I'll be amps for Christ, and I'm going to be... I'm going to be... Uh, well, it's kind of a weird thing to have your name have Christ in it because and not be right-wing religious because you know you're gonna have everybody ask you what does it mean what you're you're in this hardcore band you know <laughs> you know you're sure sure you're you're not <laughs> you don't fit the mold <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, so I've been asked about that a lot and you know it really boils down to uh, actually I it boils down to uh, life and death. And that is Jesus saying, if you're embarrassed of me in front of men, I will be embarrassed of you in front of the Father, in front of God. And I did not want that. So I said, I'm going to be unembarrassed of being Christian. So I'm going to use the name Christ in this hardcore band, and I'm going to be unembarrassed. And hopefully, when I die, uh, Christ won't be embarrassed of me. That's what it's about for me. That's why the name is pretty heavy duty. It has nothing to do with the right wing church. It has nothing to do with uh, destroying the earth, thinking it's okay to destroy the earth because Armageddon's already coming. So we're just right. going to go ahead and speed up this process. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I talked to an old biker friend of mine who doesn't have that much longer on the earth. He said, he thought that Armageddon was a personal thing for everybody. Everybody has their own Armageddon. This is a guy that's dying. That's pretty heavy. I was like, okay, <laughs> whatever you say, Bo. I guess everybody does have their own Armageddon when you get to be uh, to the point where you're bedridden and you know you're going out which is his case yeah okay he's like okay well the way i look at it everybody's got their own personal armageddon that's what it means it doesn't mean it's okay i mean as far as revelation because i was asking him about revelations because a friend of mine was saying that he thought that revelations negates the bible negates all the good stuff that christ did Christ's own acts on earth when he was here, according to what is said, is that it was about love and forgiveness. And then you get to Revelation, and it's about the sword and killing everybody who doesn't believe you. And so he's like, okay, well, that kind of negates that. It's like, is that stuck in later by some other philosopher, philosophy people, you know, people that believe in a completely different hateful philosophy, put Revelations in, at the end, that's his opinion, okay? This is a friend of mine's opinion. Mm -hmm. And so he got me thinking about it. So that's why I asked Bo about it. I said, well, hey, the old biker dude. I said, he's got an old Harley trike in storage he likes. 
I said, well, what do you think about revelations? <laughs> Well, you know, Armageddon, I think that's a personal thing. I think everybody has their own personal Armageddon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Bo. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, you can interpret that, that text a lot of different ways. Yeah. So. I'm going to have to read Who's it again. To say? <laughs> exactly. Well, at the beginning, it sounds like the, you know, it sounds like the angel doses John the Divine at first. He's on the island of Patmos, he's writing Revelations. The angel comes to him and gives him a wafer so that he can see these things. He takes the wafer, mm -hmm. eats the wafer, and then, he's, then he trips out. It's almost like he's getting dosed. I mean, there's a, if That's, you read it carefully, it's at the very beginning of Revelation, it looks like he's getting dosed by the angel with a wafer. That always kind of like tripped me out a little bit, like, okay. Is John the Divine getting dosed here? <laughs> lay down, my dear sister. Don't you lay and take your rest. Won't you lay your head down upon your seat? So I have a lot of weird inventions. Yeah, I have some amps that I build and guitars that I build and sitars. I build sitars. This is a banjo that has a buzzing bridge on it. You notice it sounds kind of sitar-ish. Sure does. That's because it has what's called a jawari bridge. In Indian, they call that jawari when the string what's is. What's that made of? It's just maple. Okay. With a bone top, and like if you see sitars, there's always that white square. Sure. That's there's what's one right there. There's a sitar. Yeah, and see that away from me. You see that white square thing? Yeah. That's the jawari bridge. So that's what causes the zing. It's like buzzing. It's like a buzzing on itself. I just made that for the banjo. I call this the uh, Sirbanjar. Hey. You know, like sitar, half, half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree. a little bit okay so you, you pull out a lot of a lot of folk songs I'd say most of which I haven't heard um, I was reading the liner notes for your album circuits and I uh, talked about wanting to find a, a female singer to sing the parts that your mother sang yeah like to you as lullabies Blood on your shirt sleeve. 
I was about five, my mom got a job teaching English at this all-girls school in Claremont called uh, Girls Collegiate. And she was teaching English there, and she decided that she would bring me and my brother down and have us sing ballads for the, her students. So every year, starting when I was about five, we'd go, and she had us learn all these ballads, and she'd sing the two parts, you know, like some of them were answer and response. And, Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about doing this one today, which is just it's her version of the night on the road, which is like the English version is really happy, American version less happy, and it's about the devil meeting the kid on the road. But that's two parts. My mom used to have me be the child, and she would be the devil. Some <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice little role play. Yeah, right? a little role play. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what? Have you got there? Would be my mom. And I'd say, Zed the night on the road. And I'd say, at like five years old, Oh, I have got my bread and cheese, said the child as he stood. And we'd sing together. For she stood and he stood and it's well that he stood. Oh, I have got my bread and cheese, said the child as he stood. And the devil would then the devil would talk again and be my mom. So we had a few of those things where she'd do that and and she would take us to class and we'd do the wife of ushers well. It's about this wife that sends her three sons away on, and they die in the ocean. And, and then, then she says that she wishes the floods would never stop or the storms would never stop until she sees her sons again. So they come as ghosts and they stay the night with her. That's, that one's heavy. Whew. Yeah. Get <laughs> away they go, yeah. Let's see. It's a minor one. That, that one's a little... Let's see if I turn this to minor. Stout and stalwart sons, and she sent them o'er the sea. They'd not been gone a week from her, a week but barely three, when word came to that stalwart wife that her sons she'd never see. Oh, I wish the wind would. Never cease, nor fashes from the flood, till my three sons come home to me in earthly flesh and blood. <coughs> anyway, then they come home and they visit her, and then they they finally tell her that uh, they're pushing up daisies, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a pretty heavy song. Yeah, for a five year old, still gets to me. I, you know, this stuff really gets to me. That, I guess that's it comes across in my music. I guess I'm pretty emotional about it, especially the old stuff like that. Stuff I learned when I was that young. Yeah, you, you carry know. that stuff with you. I do. Yeah, it's like maybe I'm a little. I'm not Aspergery about it or anything. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's very connected. And so then, yeah, then uh. I started getting into more Celtic music when I was 18. And 
I went and visited my mother in Maine, and she moved out there to take care of her mom. And I stole a cassette from her. She had made off vinyl records. She'd made this like mixed cassette of all her favorite Celtic bands, and it was on this shelf. And I'd only seen her like once in 10 years, and I just grabbed it. And I got back to California and I started playing all the songs on it and stuff. And it was like, there was all this, I mean, she was into all the, like the Planksty and the Bathy band and like all the early and the De Danon and the set early 70s Celtic bands from Ireland and Scotland and England, like the Steel Ice Band. And they were kind of like, that kind of stuff was on this cassette. And so there's her favorites and then some more traditional stuff like Gene Redpath and stuff were on this cassette, so, and I thought it was magical. These are long-haired, early, like, hippies from Ireland in 1970. And they're doing their thing, and it's more like cream or something like that, you know. These are their counterpart in the Celtic thing, and they're great. It's some of the greatest musicians ever there, you know. So anyway, that, I was into that kind of thing, and then, not that I could ever play it, you know. But I, I did learn to sing some of the songs, and... Um, so uh, yeah, I started out on guitar, and I actually got in a band when I was in third grade, and we did Clementine, The Red River Valley, mm. Drunken Sailor, what shall we drew with a drunken sailor, that might have been a little prophetic. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we, so we had some songs like that. I remember one of the guys' names was, was Robert Flagg. I, I don't know what happened to these two guys, but we had this little band with, when I was in third grade. And uh, I, I took some folk lessons from one of my mom's friends and learned like the basic chords, A, E, and D and stuff. And, uh, you know, it just, so I started pretty early. And by the time I was 14 in high school, I, I uh, joined up with stage band, the jazz band at Claremont High School. And uh, nobody else joined up that year, so I made it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have, you know. Mm. So you know any jazz? No. Know how to read music? No. <laughs> Welcome oh, well, Yeah, come on in. You know, you're the guitar player of this jazz band. So I had to learn how to read chord charts and figure out what ninth chords were, stuff like that. I just, the, the guy was totally cool that ran it. His name was Gary Ida. And he let me uh, just play by ear, basically, for three years and ditch all my other classes, too. I finally, I, I ended up just kind of hiding out in the music department. And this Japanese trumpet player turned band leader, Gary Ida at Claremont High School, just let me do it. He saw me every day. I'd, I'd come there and hide out in the music department. And in the morning, the marching band would go out. They'd come back, and they'd put all their stuff away. They, they all knew me. Oh, there's Henry, hanging out in here as usual. And then they'd put all their stuff away. And then it would be time for orchestra. And orchestra would take all their stuff out and play, and I would be sitting in the corner. And then after orchestra was lunch, and then after lunch was jazz band, which I was in. And then I finally got busted and kicked out of school. But then I got in a special program for people that just ditched. And it wasn't like any other thing, you know, so it was fine. Ended up being able to take, keep staying a stage band, mm -hmm. but get all my 
courses covered, you know, my math and English and PE and all that covered in this like special thing called interdisciplinary. And it was totally great. I mean, PE was playing volleyball and riding bicycles around and uh, or going hiking, something like that. That was PE. <laughs> and we got to teach our own classes. So me and my friend Pepper, that was also in stage band, we taught a class on guitar. We brought in Hendrix and Robert Johnson records and played them for the rest of the class on this little turntable. So, I mean, it turned out really good, but it was kind of hellish at the time that my dad found out I'd been ditching every class except for music. And I was faking PE, you know, I'd, I'd stand behind somebody who was suited up in the morning before I went to the music room. And when the coach called my name, Henry Barnes, I'd, I'd stand behind this other guy that was suited up and I'd go, here! <laughs> and then I'd take off. <laughs> I got away with that for like six months. I mean, I'd like most of the year I got away and then they busted me at the end of the year, so. It was kind of traumatic. My dad's like, why did you ditch this class? And why did you ditch this class? And I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, like the teacher didn't like me. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> in my algebra class, the teacher did not like me. Put me in the back of the class. So I just, when I found out I wasn't getting busted for not going, I just didn't go. What do you do, you know? Yeah. I don't advise that. Yeah, live and learn. Yeah. Recently, so in 2015, uh, Peter Harper, who was working here at the time, goes, Hey, Henry, there's this girl and this guy out here. They want to talk to you. So I go out there, and it's Carrie and Dylan from Gun Outfit. And they're all, Oh, man, you know, we're, we're recording, and uh, we really like Amsterdam Christ. We like what you do. And we're wondering if you would play sitar on the song that we're recording. So I was like, yeah, sure. They just came here and found you? Yeah, and so then I said, oh, sure. And then they said, well, where's a good place to go hiking? And I said, well, you know, you go a couple blocks that way and then you go straight up into the foothills, it winds up, and there's this place called Johnson's Pasture, north of Claremont, that's just like a hiking area. It's beautiful. And I said, yeah, go up there. So they turned around and went up there. And then I felt guilty about not going. It was a, they came in on Sunday. I wasn't actually supposed to be working. It was kind of like today. I was, it was a mm -hmm. Sunday. I wasn't actually working. But I, uh, and I didn't feel like going hiking that day because I was, stayed up late. <laughs> but then I felt guilty about it. So I followed them up, and I went up, and I saw the Washington plates on this beat-up-ass van. And I parked, and then I went up to the next hill, and I could see them like about a mile away on this peak of this little hill. And I decided, that's too far. I'm not gonna go try to catch up with them, you know? So I turned around at home, but I started calling it Gun Outfit Point ever since. That little peak, I call it Gun Outfit Point. That's nice. And uh, so then, yeah, then I went and recorded with them some sitar stuff. The sight unseen, you hadn't heard there. They gave me a record that they gave day. Me a record. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They gave me Hard Coming Down. Yeah. And I went one. and spun it, and I was like, wow, that's very weird stuff, very psychedelic. You know, I didn't know what to think of it. But the next thing you know, I was recording with them. And then after that, they're like, um, well, the record's out, the new record's out. And uh, so, uh, would you like to go on tour with us? So I basically started being in two bands, and I've been to Europe 
twice with them, and they've been all over the, like to New York. We've been to the, New, the Northwest a lot, and I really got to know Olympia, which I love, you know, because they're from Olympia. Yeah, Dylan used to be my roommate once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, we'd go we'd go to old school pizza, and they just like walk behind the counter and start making a pizza. And I was like, oh, what kind of a town is this? <laughs> this is amazing, you know. You know, oh, so, yeah. and uh, it's really fun to go to Olympia with them because they know everybody. And yeah, so so that's the latest thing has been having an Answer Christ, and you know, about half the shows I do with an outfit, it'll be Answer Christ as well. That's yeah, that's uh, I've seen you do that uh, the solo performance, they do a solo thing, uh, and then they play too, and then we play usually it. about ten minutes. Yeah, about ten minutes, something uh-huh. like that. <laughs> I go out in a flurry of like. And everyone goes, God, I played at the press about three weeks ago with uh, Ahmed Wasif mm-hmm. from the Folk Implosion guy and um, with Guy Blakesley from the Entrance Band. And I opened and that was pretty fun. When I, was, I did the, the Blaze of Glory thing, you know, go out with the, I turned the amps off and the vacuum tubes actually drained themselves. So it goes, they do their own patterns where I stand and point at the amp, where like, and I go, hey, okay. Behold. Behold, the amp is going to do its own thing. And as the vacuum tubes, uh, electrons flow out of the vacuum, the amp will go off. And then it'll just, and that'll be the end of it. Everyone's like, it leaves everyone like kind of wanting more. And that's the whole idea. You know? Yeah, no, it's a good tactic. <laughs> But then you go on to, you know, continue to do your shit that you do as a member of Gun Outfit. Right, you right. Know? And Play slide and stuff. It really, um, no, it really adds a lot of flavor to uh, to their sound that they've already, you know, they've been building for a while. They, yeah. Well, it, well, the thing about Dylan is, you know, his songs are deep. It's true. He's, yeah. He, he kind of empathizes a lot with people. Like, he wrote a song about... Um, about the fires, for instance, when we were driving up to play with Woods, and we were driving up north, and uh, Big Sur was on fire. You know, from the whole Monterey Bay area was just covered in smoke, and went all the way up to the five. I mean, it looked hellish. And so, Dylan wrote a song about that. You know, and it's a beautiful song, and you could tell he was empathizing with the people that lived there. I want to live in a different way. I want to die in a different way. It was about, it was about those fires. I want to live in a different way. It's time to renegotiate. So I just, I really totally dig his songwriting. So it's, it's been uh, a real, like, um, it's an honor and a pleasure to play with Gun Outfit. It really is. <laughs> and with that, I'd like to sh- play maybe a little slide. I'd love to hear that. I do that with those guys. So this here is 1937. It's called an 017H Martin guitar, all mahogany. And it's made in 1937 as a lap slide. That's what the H stands for Hawaiian. So most of these were converted to regular guitars. People would be like, oh, what's this? You know, let's bring the thing down, put frets in it. Put a new 
fretboard. But this one's been left natural and uh, Christmas, but you know, <laughs> it'd be quite a bonus, wouldn't it? At uh, it's 3500. Oh, yeah, it's 0017H, it's 1937 Hawaiian. This is a thimble. Yeah, you can play sixths, sevenths, major and minor thirds, wherever you want to in any key that you want to with the thimble. So I ordered some stainless steel, mm -hmm. and then I make these bars that clip onto your finger like that. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And then, so then, you, then it frees this finger up. You don't have to hold it. And but you still have the muting with your pinky. You're still muting behind it. But when you play lap slide, you have to be able to mute behind the bar. Because if you just play normal, no, it sounds good, but you hear the residual notes of the when it's when there's no muting. When when you mute, then it's it's controlled, controlled notes. So you have to be able to mute. So that's why it's on the third finger. Pinky's for muting, and the ring, and then the index finger gets the thimble. So when did you start doing that? The thimble trick. Man, it's just developed over time. It was yeah. like, at first I decided I was just using bars and I was holding them with my thumb like this with no, but I would run into the shoulder of the slide. So I've seen you perform uh, with an ensemble a number of times. Right? Probably about the time when Games for Christ first got on to Kill Rockstars. 2005, 2004. Yeah, I think the That's when first I, had I saw was uh, it was you and uh, there was a lady playing a zither. And That's singing. Tara. That was Tara. And, and I had another girl, namely Emma, Erica Anderson, who is now Emma, E-M-A. That was definitely the highlight of Answer Christ as a band, for sure. It was during that period. I feel sure. blessed to have been there. Yeah. I had was... a poet that was reading poetry, who was a really mm -hmm. good beatnik guy. I had. What, five or six people? On I had stage? five or six people in the yeah. band, yeah. I yeah. had Joel Connell playing from Manus Bastard playing Tablas. And I had uh, Kenyon playing bass. I mean, I had like really great musicians on bass, Tabla. And then I had Emma playing guitar, me playing guitar. And I had Tara playing. Uh, it's called the Yang Chin. It's the great grandparent of the hammered dulcimer. 
It's the Chinese version, but it has a lot more strings. That was pretty much the highlight for me of Amsterdam Christ. We, you know, that that summer we with that same band we played with uh, Ian Mackay at in L, in Pomona at the Glass House. He was doing this thing next door to the Glass House. There was this smaller place that he played at, and uh, so that's when that all started, man. You know, it's God. I mean, I've had a lot of opportunities, but I've never signed a dang contract of any kind with anybody. You know, in 2004, I finished this, the the uh, people at Arch CD, and I sent it to to Slim Moon, and he wrote me back. It was back in the old days of just mail, mm -hmm. and said that he was interested in putting it out. And then I got email around then. I think I got some email, and he called me up on the phone and said, "So uh, this is Slim Moon. Who's your publicist?" And I was like, "I didn't even know what a publicist was." I was like. Publicist? Oh, he goes. We'll assign one for you. Okay. <laughs> and he said, uh, "Well, who's your mastering guy?" And at the time, I knew this guy that knew people at Capitol. He said, "Well, tell him you know me, and uh, you know you'll get you'll get a really good deal at Capitol." So I called the Capitol Records, asked for the guy. The guy's like, "Oh, who's this? Oh, I'm friends with this friend of yours." I goes, "Oh." Okay, well, that's $2,000 then for you, you know, to master one CD. And I was like, I'll do it myself. I gave myself some German name. If you look at who mastered people at large, it was me. And I gave myself a German name because I, I went to Porter's Books and read all these mastering books. There you go. They had the, it was called the Handbook of Ma for Mastering Engineers, put out by Mix Magazine. And all these interviews, and I just read the whole book. I'd sit on the couches at Borders reading this whole mastering book. So I just... You know, I mastered that one myself and gave myself, and they all had German names and stuff. A lot of these high-end yeah. mastering engineers had German names. So I said, you know, I'll just give myself a German name. But I told Slim, I forget what it was, it was like Duschenhauser or something, I forget. But <laughs> <laughs> Is he privy to this? Or is he gonna no, he doesn't about know about that. <laughs> I never told him. I made up a German name. Wow. And what about, so, and then after uh, the people at large, AFC did... And we did the every ashes. No, after that we did every eleven seconds. Was it before people at large? Slightly before. I was with Schrimper, who I did my last record with, and he's across the street right now. That's Dennis from uh, Shrimper Records, and you know he is the number two man other than the owner of Rhino Records, and he's been there since the uh, '80s. And he was putting out, you know, he put out the Mountain Goats, put out Buckethead, he put out AFC's first release, cassette release, The Plains of Louisville. He was releasing cassettes. It all started really with Shrimper, and then and it still is with Shrimper. You know, I mean, I I went to Slim and did those two records, and then after that, I did probably just a bunch of splits and stuff with people, and you know, I haven't really done that many full links. Then I did one with Shrimper, the Canyons, Cars and Crows. I did that in 2013 or 14.
with Shrimper. And of course, Dennis is wanting me to do more, of course. He wants to do more records, of course. Is that the last uh, LP? That's the last full official LP, yeah. Although I have lots and lots of material. I have a whole unreleased albums just because I've been weird lately, you know, and I wasn't into the digital format that much. And I I have this one called The Golden Mean. was a full-length record with me and this kind of techno guy named Franz. And I was always trying to get him to be noisy and less techno. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's on every 11 seconds, so that real techno stuff, that's, sure. that's him. Okay. And so we have a whole record we did together that never got released. And there's some really good stuff on there. It's called The Golden Mean, Someday. And so, I wouldn't complain if you shared a song for us to play on it. Really? Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's up to you. The Desert, My Friend, is one of the songs. Uh, we're going now. To the desert, my friend. Going riding in the desert, my friend. In search of a rose blossoming with twilight. Off to the river's end. We're going riding in the desert, my friends. We're going riding in the desert, my friends. In search of a rose blossoming with twilight Up to the river's end Even in the shadow of the bound We'll never suffer from a spirit to drown I can see the oasis filled with a gracious Draft of the water of life Draft of the water of life Draft of the water By my side I have nothing to fear In the desert night I'm on a quest To find my vision Together we'll make the right decision So far away from the city lights I'll forget disappointments of modern life You can come along If you're willing Forget what you know my friend anyway it goes like that it's a really good song uh so well uh gonna be in claremont for a few days or oh i reckon maybe like another hour or two okay well we're yeah hey let's go to Sumcrest. yeah let's do it all right Sounds great. Two small coffees. Okay, what kind of you want to do? Uh, let's go for the. Uh, I'll have the sucker punch. What would you like? Um, yeah, I'll I'll have the same. Yeah. Uh, I'll take cream. Yeah. I'll take cream too. Did Jack work today? Yeah, he's in right now. He is? Tom Henry said hey. You know how it is. 
Christmas time in our thing. I worked here for eight years. Really? Yeah. Yes, back in the day. All punk rockers, musicians, artists, you know. I know, I know what goes on behind the scenes around here. <laughs> All right, well, before we go out, uh, officially, Henry, thank you so much for doing <laughs> this show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mark. <clears throat> Marky? Markley? Markley. Markley. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Markley. I'm, I'm really happy to do it, and we'll do it again. Yeah, we'll see you in the future. I'll see you, I'll see you in freaking Olympia. I want to go back up there so bad. It was one fine March morning I bring you all My name is Hannah, and Markley asked me to read this outro for this episode. 
If you are enjoying Low Profile and would like to help support the show, you can visit lowprofilepodcast.com and click on the Patreon link. Any donation of any size will help with the out-of-pocket costs that a project like this is subject to. Also, be sure to subscribe and give it a 5-star rating and review. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day!